The views, comments, and opinions of the following program do not necessarily reflect those of Morris Media Studios, MorrisMediaLive.com, or its affiliates. Listener discretion is advised. subject today. Uh, we're going to talk about domestic violence. It is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. I can't wait to uh, introduce you to my guests, but uh, we're going to get right into a little read, you know, get a little information, and you know how we do it. We're going to get right to it. Mentorship moment. Each one teach one. It's Domestic Violence Awareness. Today, I want to... Sometimes, you just gotta make it happen. Gonna make it happen. Today I want to address something that affects millions of households nationwide. Domestic violence. No one is immune to it. Wives, girlfriends, husbands, boyfriends, straight relationships, gay relationships, all are affected. The ramifications lead to a toxic education to our children as to what they watch when they see us interact. There are many victims who may feel they have no way out. The psychological damage keeps our victims in a mental cage of manipulation by their abuser. Now, we are living in a pandemic. And since late March of 2020, thousands of working people were sent home to quarantine with their family. For many, like mine, it was a time for renewed bonding. But for others, the victimization and abuse multiplied and magnified. We can no longer sit on the sidelines and be bystanders if we say we value lives. Today, today's show is not just for the victims. It is also for the friends, the supporters, and families who need the resources from within the community to help. It is easy to just call the authorities and let them sort it out. But what do we have to empower us in the meantime? It's time for all of us to be activated. And I brought more backup, as usual. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Hey, welcome to the uh, Mentorship Moments, Each One Teach One. I'm Coach CJ, Cleon CJ Joseph, author, entrepreneur, wellness coach. I do it all, and I want you all to be able to do it all, right? Nothing's impossible with God, right? Each One Teach One, we're going to learn something today. And again, I said I brought backup. So let's get right to it. I brought Dr. Angela Parker of the Genesee Center, the world famous Genesee Center, okay? International. International, <laughs> Ooh, she done just on me with the international, all right? Uh, let's, I, I wanna brag on my people, and you know, of course I'll let them brag on themselves a little more before we get started on the subject. Uh, she has a BA in communications from UCLA. She has a master's in English, young women, come on, role model right here. She has a doctorate in organizational leadership from USC. For the Genesee Center, she's one of the directors of training programs, uh, working with one of the oldest domestic violence intervention programs in South LA, 40 years 40 with the Genesis, 40 year. years, oh my God. She creates training for schools, businesses, and churches in education on domestic violence. 
Uh, and she's, we're going to talk about other things she's doing with Generation J, and I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. But let's get into it, ladies and gentlemen. My guest today is the very, very famous, and I'm blessed to have you here on the show <laughs> providing information. Dr. Angela Parker. Thank All you right. so much for having me. It's only one, one audience here, so I'm like, yay. You make me sound so <laughs> impressive. <Right? laughs> before, before we get started, I want to give shouts out to Karen Earl. Yes. God, I love fearless you. Fearless leader. She's the queen, queen of it all, the Genesis Center. And I also want to uh, give a sh uh, give a uh, call-in number for those, if you have questions about domestic violence, anything, we have the expert here for the show. And that call-in number is 323-815-4204. Hey, we're also streaming on Facebook. Facebook family, I told you this is real. Y'all know what this is. Y'all know what I'm about. I told you where I was going, and here we are. All right, so let's get to the meat of the show, all right? Hey. We're talking domestic violence, and I have Dr. Angela Parker here. You know, and before I, I continue, you know, I know I briefly mentioned some of the credentials that mm -hmm. you've had, but can you just please enlighten us on what more, what more that you do, what more that you have? Tell me all about yourself. Well, um, you know, in addition to working at Genesee, which I have been doing for the last 15 years, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I feel it's primarily kind of my life's work, you mm -hmm. know, to work with men, Sorry. women, and children who are victims of domestic violence. And I always think it's important because people, when they think about domestic violence, they always think about the women, but not so much the men who are victims and also the children who are equal victims of domestic violence. Yes, and yes. so, you know, Genesee Center, we're a family institute and we sort of look at domestic violence as a whole and both what happens in the home and also the community factors that lead to the domestic violence happening in the home. Okay. Um, in addition to that, I have my own nonprofit called Phenom Girls, where I work with um, middle school age black girls. You know, I've always had a heart, you know, as a black woman myself to really kind of be a mentor to black youth because I didn't really have a mentor growing up and I didn't understand the power of mentorship until I got to be older. How, how important do you think mentorship is? I mean, this is always called mentorship. Critical, okay. critical. No one gets anywhere alone. <laughs> you know, all this talk about the self-made man and the self-made woman and I, you know, built... Push, pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. Well, you have to have bootstraps. <laughs> you have to have somebody to help you get bootstraps, you know? And life is all about access and networking, you know? And mentorship is really a great uh, opportunity for you to access both. You know, you can't teach what you don't know. You can't do what you don't see. And so I'm just, I'm a big, big, big proponent of finding yourself a mentor and really helping them uh, be the guiding force in your life. Well, listen, Two I, or know, three if you can. I know you have some information that I want to, I definitely want to promote mm -hmm. uh, towards the end of the show. So I, we got a lot to cover. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure I get to that amongst other things, you know, domestic violence. Okay. Dr. Parker. Okay. Doctor. Okay. I was, uh, I had to go back through the Genesee.org website. Mm -hmm. All right. And I saw something that was interesting to me. I saw, uh, back in the day in my law enforcement career, they taught us this thing called the cycle of violence. Yes. And I remember this wheel. And then going into your website, Genesee.org, uh, Genesee you had another wheel. Mm -hmm. What was that wheel called? So you're, you're thinking of the power and control wheel. Okay, tell us about that. So a lot of times with domestic violence, people don't understand it, which, of course, unless it's happening to you, you don't. Mm -hmm. They don't understand that... Um, it's, it's not just one thing, right? It's not just one constant, horrible, bad day, right? Mm -hmm. It's 
you know, sometimes you have good days, right? Sometimes you have bad days. You know, sometimes the abuser will make you believe that they've changed or that they've never done it again. Sometimes you can go days, weeks, even months without abuse. But the thing that is always there is the constant looming threat of domestic violence. And when the domestic violence happens, they're using the physical, emotional, financial, sexual, all the different types of domestic violence to sort of keep you sort of controlled and kind of trapped in that that way. Wow. Can you explain? Now, the obvious ones are the physicals, mm -hmm. the, the ones they portray on TV, mm -hmm. everything like that. We see the physical, right? But let's delve into the ones that uh, that I saw on the, on the wheel that would just struck yes. me. Financial. Yes. Please educate the public on how that works. So financial abuse is a big thing. So oftentimes when you think about financial abuse, you know, of course you think about it in the traditional sense where it's the abuser has control of the money and it's like they will decide, you know, what you get if you get anything, right? Mm -hmm. And even if you're the person that's working, right, you could be the one that's working and they could be unemployed and just sit on the couch, but they know that you get paid on the 15th and on the 30th and come no days, you have to give them your check. And they will decide if anything you get from it. Another form of financial abuse is when people threaten to withhold affection from you. You know, like if you don't, you know, if you don't buy me this, you know, if you don't pay this car note, you know, if you don't, you know, buy this outfit, you know, then you're, you're not going to see me. You know what I mean? Um, and or they'll use money in order to kind of like reel you in. Right. right. So it's kind of like. Yeah, he might hit hit me or she might hit me or yell at me, but you know, they take care of me. You know what I mean? Right. They pay my house note. They get I get a manicure, a pedicure, they buy me these shoes. You know, and so it's it's using money in any way that can keep you under control. But wait a minute, I'm playing devil's uh -huh. advocate here. Yeah, there's nothing illegal going on here. You know, how is this, you know, how is this abuse? How how is this abuse? I'm just I'm just holding out because I'm a little mad right now. I just want to make her feel bad. You know, how is that abuse? Well it's abuse because you are exerting power over somebody to make them do what they want to do. And you have to ask the question, right? Would they do this particular thing if I wasn't um, you know, making them feel like they had to, if I wasn't threatening them physically, emotionally, financially, you know, it's it's you're trying to bend somebody to your will, it's manipulation, right? And and there's nothing healthy about manipulation in any way, no matter what people tell themselves. Now, now I want to make this very clear. We have the visual of men doing it to women. Mm -hmm. and, and and if you have any questions, remember, you can call in 323-815-4204. But I've been on calls where it's been men mm -hmm. who were just embarrassed to call and somebody had to pick up their phone for them. Mm -hmm. Men. Yeah, so again, people don't understand that men are victims of domestic violence. In fact, one in seven men um, have reported being victims of domestic violence, um, stalked, you know, by their partners. Um, we have male clients okay. that come into the shelter, and oftentimes, you know, when I say that, people are like, that's impossible. Like, male clients, like men being victims of domestic violence, like it can't happen, right? Walk me through what a visual is when a male walks in, because it's, it's important, because I want men to even feel encouraged to... To, through this walk, what is it like when a man male walks in? What is his mental state? Okay, so everybody's different, of course. So it depends on the type of abuse that they've been through. Mm -hmm. um, you know, no man is ever, well, nobody's ever excited to come into shelter. But men in particular, you know, because they still have this kind of macho machismo thing happening, mm -hmm. and to come into shelter, like to say that they're abused is like a big thing. Um, we are very fortunate because of the facilities we have where everyone can have their 
individual apartments. So we're actually able to house men and their children with no problem. In fact, um, about 99% of the men that come into Genesee have custody of their children because the abuse, you know, with the the partner has been so bad. And they tend to work the program a lot faster than the women. Um, Typically, our typical stay at Genesee is 18 months. You could stay anywhere from six months to two years. Men tend to do it in six months. You know, and I think that is part of the stigma. They program, just like our, our women clients program. You know, they get all the services that they need, a place to stay. But really what they get from us is the understanding that it's not their fault, you know. Um, And I can give you different examples, right, of people who come into, um, you know, we have men who maybe have um, are undocumented. And so the partner might threaten, like, if you say or do anything, you know, I'm going to get you deported. You know, we had this one gentleman whose wife was in the gang. So every time she got mad at him, you know, she had the homies come by and, like, you know, beat him up. Wow. You know, we've had same-sex relationships, and, you know, that gets to be um, interesting because some people feel like you can't be in a domestic violence situation if you're in a same-sex relationship because you guys are on equal footing. You should be able to go toe-to-toe, so that's just fighting. It's not like like mutual combat. No, 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 no. Listen, let me make this clear. It's a relationship, you know. What And what establishes a relationship in a domestic violence situation? Again, it's whenever somebody is making you do something that you don't want to do. So anything, as long as it's consensual and you're okay with it, it's not a domestic violence situation, even if other people don't understand it, right? Right. And so I always use the example like... Um, Let's say this is a little kinky, like we're. we're no, let's talk about it. It's just, oh, you know, let's it's a little kinky. Freaky, like, all right. Like things, you know, to be happening. You know, pop, pop. All yeah, right, you yeah. Know, you know, pitching, and you know, maybe you want to be tied up. You know, whatever, yeah, whatever yeah, 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 your yeah, boat, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Maybe you like, you know, spicing up a little bit, bringing somebody else in the boo wall, whatever. All right, as long as everybody is good with it and consensual and likes it, it's fine. It's when you feel like you have to do these things. Okay. Because if you don't do it, the person's going to hurt you. The person's going to take something away from you. Mm-hmm. The person's going to punish you. Mm-hmm. And you really don't want to do it, but you feel like you have no choice. And that, and that, and that ranges from everything, you know, from... Um, Holding hands in public. Some people don't like, you know, public displays of affection. You know, I'm um, wearing a certain type of outfit that you don't want to wear because you know that they're going to have something to say if you wear something else. You know, giving in to an argument that you feel like maybe you've won because you're, or not won because I don't think people win arguments, but that maybe you're, you know, you actually have a point, but you don't want to egg that person on and make them angrier. So you just, you know, you just acquiesce to them, just discuss. I'm going to paint a scenario. that, mm-hmm. and, and this is why if, every time I look at these shows, I want people to ask these questions, but they never ask. So I'm going to ask, right? So I remember like back in the day, just this is a story. Uh, I'm working out, I used to work out at Venice Beach all the time, right? So me and my, my twin brother, Dion, back when we were like body beautiful, right? And we were weightlifting in the gym and, and, uh, and all, you know, the couples were walking past, they were watching us in the pit. And I remember seeing this. And, and you, I want you to tell me, is this a depiction of some type of domestic violence, right? So the, we had a gentleman that was walking about 10 foot ahead of his lady, right? And the lady had her head down and he wasn't holding her hand or anything, mm-hmm. and every he kind of kept checking to see if she was looking up and mm-hmm. looking back. Is that a tell? It may sound dumb, but there's somebody out there going through this. Mm-hmm. Is that a sign should what, it, that I should be looking at? Me? Hey, that's that might be a problem at home. Well, was it the gen- the gentleman was he, he was skittish? He, or? he would look back and he oh. would give a little look if she was making sure she wasn't looking left or right. Oh, and she was just looking down with her and just kind of like shuffling her feet. And I was like, that's the most disgusting thing. Well, yeah, definitely. You know, something something's not 
kind of copacetic with that. <laughs> is, is that is that that mental yeah, power? Yeah, I mean, it you... could be a mental power. And see, and what, what? And I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of times I know we we'll get into this later when people, you know, want to say like, you know, I would never put up with that. That would never be me. That would never happen to me. And I just always want to remind people that domestic violence can happen to anyone, and it's not a sign of weakness. What happens with domestic violence is the person mentally breaks you down to the point where the abuse becomes normal. You know, and oftentimes, like in the media, when they portray somebody who's an abuser, either a man or a woman, it's they're out of control. They're, they're almost like animals. And that's not the case. Like, an abuser is, like, the most charming person you've ever met because that's how they got you, right? right, right. <laughs> like, in the beginning, they make you think that, oh, my God, this is the person I prayed for. This is, like, the answer to my dreams and everything is great and romantic. You know, I mean, I have never talked to anybody, and I've been doing this for 15 years, okay. that says, you know, we went out on the first date and everything was great, and then we went, you know, back to my place and they punched me in the face. Like, that, that never right. happened. It's gradual behavior. And oftentimes, things, they seem romantic in the beginning. Like, oh, of course they're texting me 10 times a day they just want to talk to me mm. oh yeah of course they want me to check in you know because they just want me to make sure that i'm okay oh you know yeah of course you know they might have a problem with me wearing this outfit they're just looking out for me and my reputation or isn't that cute that she's so jealous you know that proves she likes me you know and so when the abuse kind of happens it does come out of the blue because you're thinking that everything is great and normal and, and you don't even realize, you know, kind of what is that's happening. And so you told everybody and your mama how great this person is. They met all your friends and your family and they think it's great. So when you come back with them and say, oh, you know, John's abusing me, James abusing me. Oh, not John, not, yeah. not James. Yeah. They are so wonderful. Are you sure? Like, did, did you do something? Are well, you over-exaggerating this? I find it hard to believe. Well, let's talk about the support system, the family. Family and friends, the church, because that's huge. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when people disclose that they are maybe victims or the signs are obvious, mm -hmm. why is it that the first reaction, the same goes with child molestation, mm -hmm. is, oh, really? That is that really what happened? Why is that? Why is our support system, the people that we love, when these things are coming out, are not there for us? What is that about? Well, I mean, I think it's the first instinct is people don't want to deal with it. So oftentimes when you're talking about like domestic violence or child molestation, you're dealing the people that are doing it to people you care about and love, right? And you don't want to associate these vile behaviors with someone that you love. And so you sort of go into denial with it, right? That's part of it. Some of it too in the instance of domestic violence is the behavior has been normalized, not just for the person in the relationship, but maybe for our family, right? And so it's like, you know, you might've been a victim of domestic violence, right? And you know, you didn't think it was that bad, right? right. <laughs> and so when somebody else is telling you what they're going through, it's just like, oh, well, that's just a normal part of life. You know, everybody gets some crazy, you know what, who, you know, and it's funny. Or, or you know, So it's, it's almost like we're getting immune to being a victim. You know, there's we, an You don't see yourself there. as a victim. Oh, okay. You just see it as this is the way, you know, life is. You know, and of course, you know, and, and I've never, I've always like been one of those people that's like, no, you know, we can't blame like the media and TV for things. But, you know, when you see depictions of relationships, right? So there's very few black people on TV, right? And then when you do see them in relationships, like for example, in Love and Hip Hop, Pick a City, it's, it's dysfunctional, right? It's dysfunctional, it's cheating, it's fighting, right? It's, it's violent, it's toxic. And I do see our kids reacting that uh -huh. as if that's, Normal. and some of them got good parents yeah. in the home. Uh -huh. 
You know, like that's normal. That's the fashion. Yeah, because that's what they see. That's what they, you know. And even though you tell yourself, you know, I'm not going, I can't be swayed by television. Again, you, you, you replicate what you see, right? Particularly in those vulnerable years as a child when you've never had a relationship of your own and you're looking to other people to sort of model relationships. So maybe there's not a relationship in the home with your parents or something that you can see or, you know, a healthy relationship. Or so you're looking at television, everything is toxic and you're being told this is just the way life is. So you begin to emulate that stuff or you begin to take um, things, take things from people, <laughs> let people abuse you because you're thinking, hey, that's just, this is relationships, right? They're going to cheat on me. They're going to lie. We're going to get into a fight. They're going to hit me. They're going to shove me. You know, it's just, it is what it is. Um, it's really interesting because um, I work with youth, you know, as part of our Generation J program, which is our youth initiative. I can't wait to do that. And, um, you know, I had a young gentleman tell me one time that if his girlfriend wasn't, like, yelling at him or jealous or, you know, um, he didn't think she cared. <laughs> wow. Now, there are so many, and I grew up with so many, like, women, older women that I that were aunts, you know, mm -hmm. or play cousins or whatever, older, that said, oh, if he, if he don't hit you, he don't love you. Mm -hmm. And that is still relevant today. Mm -hmm. I want to move from, like, the victim for a second mm -hmm. and then move to the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. Because some of you, I know, I know some of you men out there, you're like, if I see a man hit a woman, I'm going to kick his ass, you know, whatever, whatnot, you know. But let's take our, our judgmental hat off for a second. Mm -hmm. Are those men or, or women that are committing these abuse, are they victims too? Yes. And so or they have been victims in a certain point in their life, right? Now, no it, excuse, yeah. but right. And so you hear, you know, you hear the phrase, hurt people, hurt people, which is cliche, but it, it's true, Right. right. You know, statistics show that if you look at it, something up to like 95% to like almost 100% of people who are abusers grew up in an abusive household, right? Um, of course, you know, you have that 1% that just, you know, but for right. the most part, they, they have. And they've grown up in that and, they're, they, and they can tell themselves like, I will never, ever, ever hit a woman or hit a guy because I saw my mom do it and my dad do it. But again... This is what you've grown up being taught as a relationship. And so and your reflex is going to be to do kind of what it is that you're taught. So they go through that. A lot of people have like anger management issues that they haven't been able to put under. Um, they haven't gotten the mental health for because, you know, particularly in our community, you know, we don't reach out to the mental health that we need. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm hurting, so I'm going to make you hurt, right? Another thing is, you know, substance abuse can play a role. You know, I never use that as an excuse because, right. as you know, like, you know, there's plenty of people that drink or, or do whatever, and it doesn't make them violent. Mm -hmm. But if you have a propensity for violence, you know, drinking or using some type of narcotic is going to lower your inhibition, and it's going to, you know, sort of make magnify you act out who you, you really are. are. Yeah, I like I like what you said. That way. Yeah. yeah, you're going to be if you like they say if you're a, if you're a jerk mm -hmm. poor person, you're mm -hmm. going to be even more of a jerk as a millionaire, yes. right? You know, so I, I like how you say that. Mm -hmm. I like how that applies. Okay, so so do you ever deal with? I really want to bring out the whole because this. If you go to Genesee.org and really go, it's one of the most interactive sites. They've got everything, hotlines and everything. I want to ask you something. Mm -hmm. Do you ever deal with the, the perpetrator? Do you ever give counseling to those people? So we don't. However, we do offer like referrals to okay. people that do to batterers who do need counseling. But we just work with the victims. Okay. Okay. No, that's cool. I'm, I was just curious about okay. that. Let me ask you something. <sighs> Pre-pandemic, everybody working, mm -hmm. right? Everybody good, right? You know, I mean, husband or wife mm -hmm. might have beat me a couple of times, but we good, right? You know, now he or she is home 24-7. Mm -hmm. 
Can you talk about the uptick in domestic violence during this pandemic? Yeah, so we have received so many more calls um, about domestic violence. Again, as you mentioned, we have a 24-hour hotline. And so um, we actually have received more calls than we were able to house, like in our traditional shelter. So we have been housing clients in um, hotels, you know, um, throughout the city in order to, um, you know, help the deal with the increased numbers. And this is exactly what you said. You know, we're at home all day now, right? Like before I could, he, she could leave, she could leave, you know, we could get up and leave or do something. You know, maybe I'm frustrated again because I've lost my job and I'm taking it out on you or I'm just stressed out, you know, and I'm using you as an outlet, like a punching bag. Um, you know, I'm drinking more, doing whatever, because, you know, I'm just sitting around not doing anything. Um, also, another thing, too, is that I, you know, may be in a situation where I'm feeling, you know, again, powerless, right? I'm feeling powerless. So I need to feel like I'm going to be able to control other people. And then, you know, if you're isolated in a domestic violence situation, because that's one of the things that a perpetrator does is they try to isolate you from friends and family. Now you're really isolated because mm -hmm. you're quarantined. So even let's say even if you have the chance to go to your mom once a week, you can't do that, right? Right. Because you can't you can't leave the house, and so now you just you just you just really trapped, right? And it also I think is giving a lot of people time to sort of reflect on what's going on because you know when you're going through your day to day life, it is amazing what you can brush off, or it's amazing what you convince yourself is okay. But when you are living in it and you can't escape it, and you're seeing it for what it is. I think a lot of revelations are happening with people where they're like, I, I can't live like this. Okay. This this can't be my life. This can't be my children's life. Let's break off and let's hold the support system accountable, mm -hmm. all right? The, the family, mm -hmm. the friends. Now you're, you've just received the information, mm -hmm. so there's no more being a bystander, all right? How do you help the support system? So let's say you have somebody that's, that's mm -hmm. come to the Genesee Center. Do you have, do you build support groups within their family? Um, yeah, how does that work? So this is complicated, right? Yeah. Because oftentimes when people come to us, um, particularly Genesee Center, there's been some type of frayed kind of family relationships, whatever reason. Our particular clientele tend to be people who um, don't have big, really big support systems, sort of, most people who come to shelter, right? right? Because if you had a support system, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be, be coming to Genesee, you could go stay with friends and right. family, right. right? And so it's like that, I'm trying to build the bonds. Um, a lot of times when people, you know, try to intervene in domestic violence relationships and the person doesn't leave, they become frustrated, right? And you get to the point where you're like, you must like it, right? Because I've been trying to help you and you don't want to leave, so just good luck, right? If you right. like it, I love it. Without understanding sort of the dynamics, typically it takes person like seven times to leave the person before it sticks, right? Right. And so it's like they're just not ready to go, but they still need you to kind of be there and to be somebody that they could lean on because now when they're really ready, they're alone, right? Because they've, they've alienated people. So I always tell people, you know, people who are support systems are in such a difficult situation mm -hmm. because they want to help, but there's nothing they, they can really do until the person is willing to help instead of just letting the person know that when you're ready, I'm here for them and, and not to judge and continue to kind of to kind of be an ear. But that's your question. What we do is we create support systems within Genesee Center. So Genesee, we offer everything that they could possibly need to succeed in-house, right? So we have our mental health professionals that work with them. You know, we help them with childcare and, and parenting classes, anger management, 
we do entrepreneurship classes to help them, you know, not just get like jobs, but careers. You know, do they want to go back to school? Like we're able to help them with that as well. You know, wow. some of our clients, you know, and we have them, they range from people who haven't finished sixth grade to people that need a GED, people that want to go back to college, people that want to do an internship. Like we become their surrogate family during the year and a half, the two years that are there. And really our goal is to help build them back up to a place where they can be successful and they can live on their own. Because remember, um, domestic violence is not just about one instance or one relationship, right? Oftentimes a person will get in two, three, four, five domestic violence relationships. They might have come from a situation where they, they were sex trafficked. They were in foster care. Just talked about that. You know what I mean? Show. It's like, you know, we have this picture of, of people like, oh, you know, her life was perfect or his life was perfect before the abuse happened. And, you know, they're going to come through this program. And once they leave the program, their life is going to be perfect again. And it's like, no, they're dealing with a myriad of issues in addition to the abuse or that led to the abuse that must be dealt with if they're really going to leave us and sort of break the cycle of violence and have a, a, a normal, healthy life with themselves and with their child. Wow. I, so we're going to break off into another segment, right? Another segment of society that helps, right? That, but we, we help heavy, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, been in law enforcement for 20, uh, 24 years, almost 25. Can't say where I work, right? But it's all good. <laughs> I love them anyway, right? Uh, and I'll tell you a quick story. I mean, I, I don't even think Karen knows this, mm -hmm. but I walked into the Gen Genesis Center five, maybe six years ago, and I was just so amazed as to what was going on. I'm looking around, you know, I just, I, I, I just broke down and I was like, let me, and I was in uniform just checking up on something and I just dropped in, you know, I just had to drop a donation in, you know, it's like, and it's amazing how these relationships come about, yeah. right? Um, working with um, law enforcement, you know, because uh, I know a lot of families um, in our community, mm -hmm. let's just be honest, they, they don't want to call mm -hmm. law enforcement for personal reasons, mm -hmm. social reasons, mm -hmm. I get it. And I don't want to tear into that. But when you guys, do you guys work with law enforcement um, in any capacity or, 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 or do we have access to liaison with you when we have been, when officers have, you know, out in the field have victims? So yes. So um, the initial way is that a lot of our clients come in um, to Genesee because of some kind of uh, uh interaction they've had with law enforcement. You know, somebody's called the police, you know, because the abuse happened, the police come in, you know, they might lose, you know, they, the child might be taken out the home or there might be charges that need to be, you know, filed. And so uh, we even have police that will call us to let us know kind of what's going on so we can get them into the shelter. Okay. Another way is we have a DART program with the uh, yes. 77th uh, Division Precinct. I hope I'm saying that right. Forgive me. For yeah, I think that's precinct. in Los Angeles, yeah. yes. And um, so we work very closely with them. Um, uh, since the pandemic, um, we haven't done as many ride-alongs, but usually the way DART works is that there is a Genesee staff member who does ride-alongs with um, a patrol car that's specifically for victims of domestic violence. They'll go in and they'll talk to the victim, you know, offer them, you know, what they need. If they need to come into shelter, Genesee has a capacity to put them into shelter. Awesome. And so we work, you know, very closely that way. Okay, that, that's awesome. So let's say pre-pandemic, your relationship with, with law enforcement, wherever, was mm -hmm. pretty good going. Yeah, so we... 
So we have a, you know, we do what we call culturally relevant services. And that means that we understand. Wait, say that again. It's called culturally, it's called culturally relevant services. I like that. Which means that we understand that because predominantly our clients are um, African-American um, and then Latina clients, Latino clients are our next, you know, block. And we understand that they have particular feelings, cultural norms and values when it comes to connecting with social systems. And so we understand that we, in a way, have to be that advocate with law enforcement you know, social services, um, you know, there's a lot of domestic violence programs that won't let social workers come into their shelter, which is crazy because they're the people that have the kids and they're the people that decide where the kids go and they have to feel safe about where the children go. So we've cultivated relationships with them where now they, they come into the shelter and they can see this is a safe place for the kids. And now they're at the point where they're like, oh, they're going to Genesee. Okay. Yeah. We, you know, so it's so we stand in in that gap, right? Because it's it's unrealistic if you get caught up in something like domestic violence, you're in, you're, you're caught up in some type of system, right? Legal, whatever. Right. And so we we stand in the gap for that. We are one of the only domestic violence intervention programs with an in-house legal department. We have, I think, now we have like three staff attorneys, about five paralegals. Um, you know, playing, it's a huge program. We're not playing. playing. We're not playing, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and we do everything for for free. We don't charge the clients and we'll do something from a traffic ticket to restraining orders to divorce custody wait, immigration wait, wait. i gotta give that the proper respect it's free 99 guys mm -hmm. it's free man no joke mm -hmm. all right continue and Sorry. we work with we do clinics in the community as well and so um you know quarterly you know so if you go to the genesee website or our facebook page or instagram you can you know be you know, on the lookout for those that we do. And you don't have to be a victim of domestic violence for that. That's around, um, you know, uh, issues of immigration, um, family law, and a landlord tenant. So we do those quarterly. Right. Impact LA clinics. Yes, yeah, so my people are worried about immigration. Hey, it's a, we're not, it, it, we ain't tripping like that. Mm -hmm. You know, law enforcement ain't tripping like that. Neither is the Genesee Center, mm -hmm. okay? So you need to trust and believe we don't play that game, okay? So here's the deal. I wanted to talk about a success story. Mm -hmm. You don't have to say names. I understand yeah. it's very, you know, but if you can just yeah. dance around, whatever you can provide. I mean, we've, we've had a lot of success stories. What, what, what grabbed your heart the most, Dr. Um, Parker? You know, it's seeing the total transformation of people, right, that, that I get to see. I don't work directly in the shelter as much as I used to because okay. I, I do outreach and education, but it's seeing somebody who comes into the shelter just really just beaten down like with a hoodie and not talk. And then two years later, see them just out and about and bright and happy and, you know, with their child and beautiful. And then they move on and they, you know, they remarry and they have another child and, you know, they get a job and life is great. You know, it's seeing, you know, a young man that came into the shelter with his mom and his sister. She used to wear all black and have like really a lot of anxiety and stomach issues. And then leaving us, you know, a year later and wearing color. <laughs> wow. And his stomach issues are not as bad as they used to be. And he's smiling. You know, um, you know, it's a little kid who's coming to the shelter and him and his mom used to sleep underneath the bridge. You know, and he no longer trusts his mom. Right. And he's scared, actually, to mm -hmm. live with her on his own and to see kind of those bonds sort of reconnect and for him to be happy to be leaving, you know, with her in, in their new life. So, you know, seeing a guy who, you know, is walking through the shelter with his young daughter, really just apprehensive and kind of traumatized by what he's been through, you know, his self-esteem, you know, beat down and to be able to, you know, look at him, you know, um, in his suit, and his new job with his daughter and just happy and flourishing. So. Man, that, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, now I'm going to make it a little sadder, uh -huh. right? Because I'm good uh -huh. with that too. You know, what, it doesn't have to be a story uh -huh. or what does it feel like when we 
don't win. Like I, like I remember when I back in the day in law school, I used to mentor a kid and I try to keep him out of gangs. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, basically, the gangs didn't even want me interacting with that kid. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, I lost the kid to the gang. It broke my heart. Can you tell me what it's like when you feel like in your mind you lost one? I don't do that to myself. Okay. So when I first started working at Genesee, um, I was really like, um, oh, you know, like the clients. And yeah. particularly, I have a heart for the kids and worrying about the kids. And I hope the kids, you know, when they leave, I hope they're going to be okay and all this kind of stuff. And then I realized I can't control that, right? Yeah. You can't control that. I had to realize I all, all, all I can do is to give them everything that I can give them while they're in the shelter and just hope that when they leave us, when they graduate, that, that everything is going to be okay. You know, I've, I've done my part. I mean, and that's something I had to learn through the years, but, you know, and it doesn't mean you don't care, you know, it just means that you have to understand that you have to let go and let God. You know, I just, I love it. <laughs> I, I even love the song. Yeah. Go, I don't want to say, don't get yeah. me singing in here. Listen, I don't attach to anything that's not credible, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't put my name on anything that I don't believe in. It's funny, I'm just me, right? But I know there's also some, like, we have celebrities that have mm-hmm. attached to the brand, you know, do you want to talk about that? Or, oh, you yeah, know? no, okay, sure. we are incredibly lucky. I think um, the our most um, loyal and probably famous um, ambassador is Miss Halle Berry, who's okay. been with us for almost 20 years. You know, she has um, just been a gift to Genesee and just the type of person who not only has she lent her name, but she's really rolled up her sleeves and come to the shelter and painted and worked, you know, just, just someone who's really has a heart for children and saving lives. And we're grateful to have her. You know, we've had people, um, you know, like Jamie Foxx, who's participated in our Silver Rose, you know, Alicia Keys. What about um, even our local Mary heroes? Mary J. Bryce. Yeah, um, Adele Lamar from yes. KJLH, you know, is really, really, you know, popular. Tashina Arnold, you know, has, has worked with us as well. Um, you know, so we've just been really, really, really fortunate to have people that, you know, have a heart for this work because, you know, not everybody does. And a lot of people have lip service, you know, yeah. and, and particularly people, you know, they want the PR of it, but they don't want to actually be in there. And we have been really lucky, especially with Ms. Barry, yeah. to have people that they're there because they're, they care and, and doing things when, with no publicity, you know, with no cameras, just because, because they care. And, you know, I'm not bringing them up just to say mm-hmm. they're better than us or anything mm-hmm. like that. I'm just saying it takes a lot to get those people from way out there to reach out and attach mm-hmm. to a good cause. And that adds to the value, you know, when you have people like Halle Berry mm-hmm. and De Lamar, Jamie Foxx humbling themselves to a cause, then that's got to mean a lot of something. That's the real, you know. Uh, but it's a double-edged sword for us, right? Okay, because when it. people see Halle Berry, they're like, oh, well, you guys got Halle Berry, so you don't need anything. I, I, I understand what that is. <laughs> it's almost like you, you got, oh, I see CJ, her CJ's commercial. He yeah. must be balling now. Uh-huh. He yeah. don't need, you yeah. know. And it's just like, no, because every time Miss Berry gets on television or gives an interview and talks about Genesee Center, the cause increase for help. You know, and so it's like we awesome. need more services or more resources, not less. Okay, I want to talk about you. Oh, okay. All right? Because I was reading about all the stuff mm-hmm. in your bio that you're under, under the Genesee mm-hmm. Center and some stuff you're doing on your own. You're a writer. You have yes, books. Yes, yes. I mean, how, I'm a fellow author. And, you oh, know, great. I, I see the yeah. smile, right? Uh-huh. You know, you know, it's yeah. out there. Uh, I mean, what, 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 first of all, let's talk mm-hmm. about Generation J. All right, so Generation J is actually part of Genesee Center. Yeah. And so it is our youth prevention program. Okay. And so we work with middle school, high school, and college and university students. And we teach them how to have healthy relationships through workshops, programs, dialogues, youth conversations, trainings. And also we teach them how to be peer-to-peer mentors so that they're able to talk to their friends about domestic violence. We have a youth council where the 
youth um, active sort of focus groups because, you know, we have to stay connected with them and we have to be relevant for them. We have um, a huge social media presence. We have a podcast called Generation J Live and also a YouTube channel um, where we do have content for youth. It's also called Generation J Live. So, you know, really, you know, we are all about, you know, decreasing the number of people who come into shelter and breaking that kind of what we call the cycle of violence because when someone was 12, 18, 21, they learned how to have a healthy relationship so they never got to the point where they had to come into shelter. And that's our goal with Generation J. You tell me about Phenom Girls. So Phenom Girls is actually my own nonprofit okay. that I um uh, I have a heart for working with young girls. I think we had mentioned this before, and we talked about mentorship. We talked about that piece. And so I do a lot of different programs with them. Um, self-esteem, you know, it's based off of, um, you know, Maya Angelou's quote, the phenomenal woman. And so the goal of Phenom Girls is through mentorship to, to get young girls to tap into the phenomenal woman within. So we do programmings, programs with them. You know, we do workshops. You know, we have, like, one-on-one conversations with them. You know, just, just, just different things to sort of tap into to let them know how awesome they are. That's awesome, awesome. Now listen, now you'll see across the uh, screen, Mm -hmm. I want you to go, I want you guys to go to this site, Mm genesee.org. And I'm telling you, it's one of the most interactive, it's easy to go through Mm -hmm. what they're about. They are the real deal. When when I hear about people helping people, they are really out there helping people and it's free and the process is organized. And we have a a, a hotline that's 24 hour hotline, um, 1-800-479-7328. No matter what day or time you call, somebody will pick up that hotline and will be able to help you. Awesome. And there's also a national uh, domestic violence hotline number. Uh, but definitely, you just you really need to go through mm-hmm. this site. I, I, matter of fact, I dare you. I double dog dare you to go through this <laughs> site because uh, there's nothing worse than uh, seeing uh, children mm-hmm. watching these victims mm-hmm. be victimized, the victims be victimized, mm-hmm. and the perpetrator also dealing with issues. Uh, uh, victimizing the victims. Mm-hmm. It's just a sad state that yeah, we're in. Yeah, it's a cycle of violence we need to break. <clears throat> I love it. I love it. Please. And you need to, tell me that with the power, the, the circle of power. So it's called, so, um, you know, it's called the uh, power and control wheel is what you're power talking and about. Control and also on the, site. the cycle of violence, which will take you through sort of the different phases of domestic violence. You know, a lot. the biggest question, and I definitely want to get this in before we go, is why don't they just leave, right? Because if that was me, Please if somebody looked question. at me cross-eyed, I would leave. It's and hard. it's just not that, it's it's not that simple. Like one, you really love the person, you want to make it work. That's real. You know, That's real. things were great before, right? And you're just trying to get back to that. Two, you might be financially dependent on that person and you might not have anywhere to go. Um, three, you know, if there's children involved, never underestimate people's desire to keep their family together, mm. particularly if maybe they didn't have the strongest family and they want that for their kids. And also understand, and please understand, the most dangerous time for someone who is in an abusive relationship is when they leave, okay? If they have someone who is deadly obsessed with them, it could mean life or death, right? So when you're watching the news and you hear a person that's got been murdered or had acid thrown in their face or been kidnapped, those are the people that have already left, okay? The abuser has lost control and the only thing left is to sort of, you know, kill the person. Yeah, and so extreme. nobody can ever just, just walk through the door. Like if you are in a domestic violence situation and you feel your life is in danger, you need to have a plan, right? You need to have a safety plan. You need to know where you're gonna go and you need to be able to stay safe for the abuser because it's, it's just not, it's not easy. Genesee.org, please go to the site. 
Now, you are a book writer. I Yes, I do write several books, and I'm just one of those people who write all different genres of books, right? So if you go into my website, which is AngelaNicoleParker.com, you can see it. I write science fiction books. I write um, chiclet books, you know. Uh, we got to um, talk again. Yeah, and I have a book, though, coming out in March, which is called You Are Phenomenal, which is a collection of quotes and notes from, you know, iconic women for young girls to read, you know, and to really um, to, to understand that, you know, you everybody goes do something right? right but if you work hard enough you can get to the other side and so i'm excited about that that's coming out in march well speaking of books and authors i'm getting better at the segue stuff <laughs> hey the 2020 black writers on tour is this weekend virtual online mm. uh, from 10 to 4 so usually they have a live event but with the pandemic we all went virtual so i'm one of the featured authors all right you know so uh come to the expo 10 to 4 uh just google uh, uh black writers on tour 2020 all right. And so, one more thing I want to get in before we go. go. I have a news magazine called Generation Next, which is for black youth ages 12 to 17. If you know of any youth who are interested in journalism, you can look us up at uh, generationnextonline.com. And we are doing our second edition, and I would love to have them. You are straight fire. <laughs> uh, we, you're going to be on again. I love it. I love it. Hey, listen, guys, this is Mentorship Moment. Each one, teach one. We are the village, man. Uh, coming up, we'll finish part two of our sex trafficking series with uh, Dr. Stephanie Powell. You don't want to miss it. It's on. Let's talk. It happened. It happened.